Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. I just had a conversation with another mom about her feeling guilty for making time for herself, time that didn't involve taking care of a littler person or worrying about her family's needs. I've been there. In fact, many days I'm still there. I feel guilty anytime I ask for time to go get my nails done or go for a walk, heck, even to take a shower because my first priority is to care for everyone else, right? At some point, I have to eat right, exercise, focus on my goals or hobbies, and somewhere in there, I'm supposed to be a good Catholic. It's like there aren't enough hours in the day. More often than not, I find myself failing at one, most of the times more than one, of those things. Sometimes I end up sacrificing my prayer time or growing in my faith to make sure that I meet everyone's basic needs. And I feel guilty for it. There's a ton of jokes surrounding the guilt Catholics burden themselves with. We feel like we have to meet a certain set of standards and be perfect at everything in order to gain admittance to heaven, to be considered good enough. Conversely, there's a large push in the secular world to stop judging ourselves so harshly that we are enough. So which one is it? Father Sawicki joins me to help us unpack these notions of guilt how they specifically apply to our faith, and how comparison is the thief of joy. Father Swicky, thank you so much for coming back to Canon Catholic Convos. It's always a joy to have you here. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for the invitation. So today I want to talk about Catholic guilt. I think we've all heard or seen someone make a joke about Catholic guilt at one point or another. So can you talk to me a little bit about what is Catholic guilt and what's the difference between it and actual guilt? Like, how can how can we tell the difference in our own lives? Sure. Now, first off, I think you're understating the fact. I think entire movies have been made about Catholic guilt. Yes. And, and I think a lot of hay has been made about Catholic guilt. And on one hand, there's a reality. And so I'm about to turn 40, okay? I, I like to remind people that I went to school with, like, listen, we didn't get what our parents or grandparents got in the presentation of the faith. And this is very difficult when we have intergenerational dialogues. So, you know, going to Catholic school from, and I Catholic school educated from kindergarten through 12th grade plus um, eight years of seminary. So, I mean, it's Catholic school education. And there were sisters, religious teaching sisters, who were present at various stages of both grade school and high school. There was always a religious sister present. And people say, you can't scare me. I was taught by nuns, and I got Catholic guilt. And I'm thinking, buddy, you're not even like 40 yet. <laughs> like, that, that, that train left the station a long time ago. My parents, on the other hand, you know, 
in the way that, especially like my dad who went to Catholic school in the 50s through the in, graduated high school in 64, they had a different presentation of the faith. So I think that it's important to know even like generationally, what are you referencing with Catholic guilt? Mm. Because on one hand, there's conscience. There's the realization, I've just committed a sin. I've just done something that was wrong. I knew was wrong and did it anyway. And I got to go to confession. You know, this is like the, the criteria of a mortal sin, a sin which kind of disrupts your friendship with our loving father. And that's when there's a grave thing. We know it is. We, we fully are aware of what we're doing. And we did it anyway. And, and we did it because it was more convenient. It was expeditious. It you know, helped us through a problem very quickly, whether it was a lie or whether it was a juicy piece of gossip, which we threw a coworker uh, under the bus to the boss. So that way we looked better and he or she looked worse. And then we realized wow, I really screwed up. That's not bad. That's good. That's called conscience, that we're aware that we're capable of building up and we're also capable of tearing down. What does Jesus ask us to do? He asks us to build each other up. He asks us to reflect his goodness and love to the least ones. So I think that that's where you have that understanding of, of conscience. Now, in older generations, if there's, you know, older listeners of this, when it was a very moralistic way of presenting the faith. For instance, you have people, um, they were in Boy Scouts and they went on a camping trip. And what do you cook when you're on a camping trip? Hamburgs, hot dogs. And the camping trip began on a Friday and, you know, you, f you cook up the fire and you eat and then you realize, oh my gosh, I just ate a hot dog on Friday and it's the, even outside of Lent, and then people are in anguish. I'm, I feel like I'm going to go to hell because they told us if we commit this, it's an absolute sin. Well, you fail to plan. Yeah, it's really hard to pack fish sticks on a camping trip. Peanut butter and jelly works a lot better. Okay, it doesn't really get soggy. And you didn't even think that it was a Friday. You, you know, but in the olden days where it was really black and white, a presentation of faith, so people really did get this notion of of the unhealthy guilt, this kind of nagging thing that everything was a sin. And and that's where you get in, in those days. And, and some of our older priests, a lot of our priests who commented this to me when I was a younger priest, have now gone to their eternal reward. They said it was very hard when people had a thing called scrupulosity. Scrupulosity is, if you think about it, it's like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, in the spiritual realm. Mm. That literally... It, they were so obsessive about every imperfection, they were running to confession um, basically every day because they thought they were committing mortal sins and they didn't want to go to the, the eternal fires of H-E double hockey stick, you know. So th there's these notions of Catholic guilt that go around. So again, there's conscience, and we have to form conscience. We have to constantly inform conscience. And we do this through prayer. We do this attendance at Mass, and hopefully a priest or a deacon is giving a good instructive homily, understanding how to make a moral decision. Our own study, you know, we should all have a catechism. We should have, definitely have the scriptures in, in our home. And it's great to have a catechism. Here's the thing, though. 
You don't even have to have a book anymore. It's out there on the, it's it's on your phone. Right. You know, Over it's podcasts. free apps. Yep. You come to Catholic Candid Catholic Convos <laughs> and, and you learn. But these are all ways of helping form conscience to realize what is a sin, what isn't a sin. What am I able to do? You know, the church doesn't hold us to do the impossible. Okay. And so these are the the things that we I think we sort through a little bit better a little bit more thoroughly now than we did, where in the olden days, it was a lot easier. If you do this, it's a sin. People come up, Father, is it a sin if I dot, dot, dot? And I say, well, did you know what you were doing? It's grave matter. Did you have a choice in that? Father, I, I missed Mass last Sunday, and I, I, it's a mortal sin. Where were you last Sunday? Um, well, I was at my cabin in Sullivan County, and I said, well, what happened on Saturday night? Oh, there was a snowstorm and 20, 20 inches of snow dropped. I said, so it was impossible for you to get to church. Well, yes. Did did you say, like, Lord, I'm sorry, I can't make it to Mass? I mean, it's impossible to get to Mass in Sullivan County when there's 20 inches of snow on the ground. But there was that thing people don't, and I'm not saying nuance, I'm not saying mitigating factors, like, you know, moral relativism. But really what it's... Sometimes it's not a question of yes or no. It's like, well, what's what's surrounding the moral question at hand? So again, there's in 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 the way that I think the the church has been presenting the faith in the last forty to fifty years. There's definitely the attention to a, a renewed sense of moral theology, especially the John Paul, Saint, Pope Saint John Paul II when he clearly taught and very taught to Splendor as encyclical from the 1990s, there are objective moral truths. The next step is how do we aspire to them? How do we try to live those virtues in our own lives, being aware that we're weak and imperfect? So as opposed to my parents' generation where if you were not perfect right away, you better watch out, okay, versus well, God loves me no matter what, so therefore it doesn't really matter what I do or don't do. Those are two unhealthy extremes, and I think the, the the splendor of the truth is, you know, we know what is right and wrong, and, and to put our, not to be not to be punny here, to put our conscience at ease, we have to have a healthy realization, what am I able to do? So again, there's different kinds of Catholic guilt. There's stuff that I think doesn't exist anymore, especially among younger ones, younger people. Um, and I think that it's good to have a well-formed conscience and the realization there are times there's things that I'm called to do and I don't do. There's things I shouldn't do and I do. It's kind of like what we say in the I confess at Mass for what I've done and what I fail to do. That involves being attentive in conscience Again, we shouldn't have scrupulosity. That's not healthy. Um, but the other extreme, which is who really cares? God loves me no matter what. He does, but we have to respond to that love in a healthy manner. I hope that makes sense, and I hope I didn't talk it to death. <laughs> no, it does. It's like it's. I, I picture it like a like a balancing act, and I wish I could remember. Who exactly said the quote? I think it was some author, but she talked about it's like like juggling and you have to know which balls are glass and which balls are plastic and like which ones can fall to the oh. ground and focusing on like, like you said, it can't, you can't 
drift too far to one side or the other because there have been times like personally where I'm like, if I want to get into heaven, do I have to be absolutely, do I have to do it exactly like this? But then on the same side, like God says, he loves me no matter what, if I go to confession and this, so it's, it's a fine, it's almost like a fine line of like, just like you said, you have to grow your conscience and kind of figure out where that line is. By the way, this is one of the wisdoms that's offered in the sacrament of confession, because there are times that I, even as a priest, I go and I will say these things and the confessor will say, you're confessing that you, you did this, you're confessing it. Do you not realize that underlying the three things that you confessed is this other unhealthy attitude? And then typically as a priest, because again, when you go to confession, you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been a month since my last confession. I'm a priest. These are my sins. Okay, so you identify your state of life. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the other priest confessor is going to hear like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, because you're not just going to look for the whack-a-mole of the sin, but you're playing whack-a-mole, hitting that thing back into the hole. It's like, well, what's causing these other th- things to pop up? Mm. Again, it's not to make us a neurotic basket case. It's to help us understand what really needs to convert in our life. Mm, the root cause. The yeah. root cause. It could be you're you're so darn busy, you don't have time to do things. Or you're so darn stressed out, you end up responding to situations in an unhealthy way. And... That, that's one of the wisdoms of auricular confession, going, you know, going to the box on Saturday afternoon or, you know, at the cathedral Monday, Tuesday, Friday afternoons, you know, and to be able to get that. And, and sometimes, I guess, here's the other thing. Sometimes you go to confession to assuage that conscience. You go to that confession and the priest will just look at you and say, or say through the screen, you know, it's a good confession for your penance, say the Hail Mary three times. Meaning, you know what you know what you're doing. You know how you failed. You know how you missed the mark. You know how you sinned. Offer this penance. Make make penance a lifetime practice. Really, what we should all be doing. But also, there's those times that we get the good counsel, and it really puts the train back on the track. And we're like, oh, I really was more derailed than I thought. Mm. And because because we're able to get that other piece of counsel. Um, to be able to understand how other things are perhaps impacting us. I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to think about it. And I like what you said about when you go in and you kind of state your, where you're at in life. Um, Cause you know, this is true for me and I'm sure it's true for a lot of other listeners, but personally I'm at a time in my life right now where I'm spending a lot of time caring for others, you know, my spouse, small children, my aging parents, and there's a lot of places in my life where I feel like like I fall short. Prayer is unfortunately one of those areas. And like most cradle Catholics, I was raised to believe that if you didn't do certain things, like if you didn't pray the rosary the exact right way or this, you know, that if you didn't pray like St. Pope John Paul the Great prayed or Mother Teresa or any of the other saints or like the even just the Catholics that I see on Instagram, they just seem so perfect, that I wasn't good enough that I wasn't good enough to get to heaven. And now there's this big movement of, especially for people who struggle with mental illness, that Mm. like you are good enough, but are we good enough for heaven? You really have to put things in context. And, And I think that that's what daily prayer does is put things in context. If you're frustrated taking care of your elderly parents, or it's like, do I have to change one more diaper this week? 
I've never had to do that. Okay. It is not fun. I, 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 I've been told I got, I have nieces and a nephew and thank God they're all grown, but um, there's a reality there, but put it in context because for the couple years that you'll be changing the diapers, wait. And like, sometimes I, I've said to parents in confession, so you're really upset that your 12 year old is really acting like a snot. Yes. Father. I said, well, you want the good news. Well, what's the good news? Well, you don't have to change diapers. You want the bad news? What's that? It's only 12 and he's not even a teenager yet. So brace yourself. But then the kid's going to be 18, 19, have it all together. They went through their snottiness. And then the parents are like, oh my gosh, the kids are out of the house. What am I going to do next? That's right. You're going to have another 35, 40 years of life as someone with a lot of guest rooms in your house or you're going to downsize. And I think that prayer puts these types of struggles in context, okay? Going back to the principle, God doesn't call us to do the impossible. And I think, and I, I love recommending as vocation director, I've recommended the introduction to the devout life by St. Francis de Sales to a lot of people. And that's one of those seminal readings for the spiritual life. Francis de Sales probably was a beekeeper, and he was a great writer. He was a, he, he communicated to his diocese through letters because it was illegal for him to actually go into his territory as a bishop. Mm -hmm. It was strange times back in uh, the 16th, 17th centuries. Francis de Sales kind of summarized, the pauper has to pray like a pauper and not like a prince. The prince has to pray as a prince and not as a pauper because all of society depends upon the prince growing in holiness as prince. If the prince is just saying, oh, I want to be a pauper and, and give up all these things, then you're going to have an unstable society. I can't, as a diocesan priest, pray like a Benedictine monk. If I did, I wouldn't get my work done. Right. Okay? Benedictine monks have that special call to pray in community. And that's why they have monasteries with the tolling of bells and everything else is built around the monastic schedule. I can't pray like a monk. I'm not a monk. I wasn't called to be a monk. I'm a diocesan priest. And I've had a priest who was once a high school, a full-time high school professor say to me, I can never do what you do. He said, I love being a priest. I can't rearrange my schedule for people. It drives me crazy. And he was a very type A personality. And, and he was a high school professor priest. And so you you have to find, how how is it that you're able to pray? How is it that when you're changing those diapers, when you're mixing the formula, when you're going off, uh, and, and I think of my own parents, you know, my, my parents are wonderful parents, they're excellent Catholics, they're very practical. My dad, that was the last of five kids, my dad had to be out of the door oftentimes by quarter after six in the morning to be at work. He was a civil engineer in charge of a power plant, and he got home tired, but still he managed to balance the checkbooks for the Cub Scout pack in town as well as being the treasurer of the American Legion Post to give of himself and for the good of the whole, of, of families and of veterans, okay? So did he have to die to himself? There's times that, like, as a priest, you wish that you could do whatever you want to do and say to heck with it and, you know, pretend to live a playboy lifestyle. But there's where your Catholic conscience comes in. Well, if I did that, 
which is totally self-serving. It feels great, you know? I mean, that's why, you know, we, you, we do go on vacation. We're supposed to take time for ourselves. But if that's all I ever did, and then what, what happens to the people of God not being served through the sacraments? What about your husband or your wife? And are they being supported? There was, there was a time, there was a very devout Catholic husband who told his wife, you got to go talk to Father Sawicki. And I said, oh, so what's, what's, the, what's the situation? Well, my husband's really, I'm really uh, frustrated. I'm exhausted. My husband's telling, told me that I'm frustrated and exhausted because I'm not making my daily Eucharistic Holy Hour in church anymore. I said, well, what's your family? What's going on at home? Well, I have two or three toddlers, and, you know, he's doing his work, and I am, the, the person said to me, I am, you know, at home in between laundry and cooking and preparing lunch for him to take and taking care of the kids. I can't make it to church. How do you, like, I said to her, I said, like, you, you have to grow in holiness, change in the diapers. You have to see the, the, the beauty and the power of God in the life that you brought into the world and grow holy that way. You can't pray like a Carmelite nun because you got kids at home. God doesn't call us to do what's impossible in our state of life. Now, what happens for the older folks? I remember interviewing in seminary one of our retired priests. He's now dead. And he talked about how at one time he wanted to be a Benedictine monk. And he tried the monastery. It didn't work. He was a diocesan priest. But in the retirement residence, he came to realize that he could pray, and he set up his own kind of rule of life to pray and to study like he would have in the monastery that he couldn't do because of all those years as an active diocesan priest, as a pastor, and, and as, a, as a school principal which is some of the ministries he had within the diocese. And he, he realized in, in his old age, in his retirement, he was able to do that which he sort of wanted to do as a young person but never had the opportunity to do. So again, it's living in the moment, that, that spirituality of Francis de Sales, we have to pray according to our state of life. One of our deceased priests was a, I was very friendly with Monsignor uh, Reno Fregapani, and one time I was driving, he was, I was ordained in 2009, he was ordained in 51. So you do the math of, of the age difference that we were. And, and he said, Father Jonathan, he was from Sicily, said, Father Jonathan, remember, the saints are all to be admired, not necessarily imitated. Mm. I can't imitate the life of John of the Cross. I can't imitate Maximilian Kolbe. Now, this is why the church has lifted up John Vianney as a parish priest. But even then, I mean, ours, the, the little town of ours had a couple hundred people. I mean, I have a couple hundred families. So you have to, I have to admire these saints. I can't imitate them. It's, it's, because it's impossible to imitate them. I can't live like they did, you know? So, um, Francis of Assisi, you know? When people say, oh, you know, they walked everywhere. What? We're in the United States. We don't, you know, you, you, you got to be able to drive. You got to have health insurance. Well, Francis of Assisi, Francis of Assisi did not live in 21st century central Pennsylvania. He lived in 13th century Italy. And, but there's that spirituality, his spirituality, which informs the Franciscans of today. So, God doesn't call us, again, putting the conscience at ease, God doesn't call us to do the impossible. But in our conscience, we know what is possible, mm. and we have to act on it when God gives us the grace of, of awareness.
I love that. And I think that that, that is such a powerful statement that um, they're to be admired, not necessarily imitated. And uh, when you said about a death to self, um, when I first became a mom, that's what I felt like, like it was just all consuming. And I felt like the parts of me that I, that enjoyed watching movies or writing or reading, like I was going to have to give all of that up because I wanted to be a mom. And I'm like, well, I can't have both. And now I'm at a point in my life where my oldest son is, he's seven. So he's like square in between being a kid and being a teenager, which I find just a fascinating age. And now I'm like, oh, I have a little bit more time to like do the things that I liked to do. I have a little bit more time to go back to reading or doing whatever. And I've taken some of the chores that are like necessary, like doing the dishes and doing like I hate doing the laundry. There's so much laundry in my house, but I use that time. I like try to, um, I learned about offering it up. Mm -hmm. Um, so if, if I'm doing the laundry, I, I, you know, say a prayer that like, okay, at least I have clothes that I can wear, or I'm doing this because one of my friends who has cancer can't wash their own clothes right now. So it's finding those, those little moments, those little opportunities. Um, and I'm not going to be changing diapers forever, but then one day I'm going to miss it. Like I hated being pregnant my last time being pregnant. I was just so done. But then this morning I found a picture of my pregnant belly and I was like, oh, I miss it. Like it's, it's one of those things of, it's not like, it's not going to be like this forever. It's not going to be like this forever. So also going to not being like this forever. Um, some of us at some point in our lives struggle with worth, um, especially those who struggle with depression and mental illness. They might believe the lie that we're not worthy of love or of life. And at times when I was at my darkest, personally, I struggled really badly with postpartum depression. And my mom, God love her, would tell me, you know, well, God loves you, even if you don't love yourself. It just, it didn't feel real. It felt like, it felt like I was being placated to, and it just felt very far away and very lonely. So are we worthy of God's love if we're not perfect Catholics? Or is that something that we just tell kids? So in our Catholic churches, typically at the center, somehow in the center of every one of our churches, whether on the altar or near the altar or above the altar, is a crucifix. Not just an empty cross, but a crucifix. That's not meant to terrify people. That's not meant to be um, a, a, a point of fear. And it was once used, look at, look at what your sins cost Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, again, the bad Catholic guilt that older generations were raised with. It's not really healthy. We're supposed to look upon that crucifix, and the crucifix is the cross with the image of the crucified Lord in humility. This is how much God loves us. This is not meant to terrify us. This is meant to console us. We heard in this past Sunday's readings from the, I think, the first letter of St. Peter, by his wounds you were healed, okay? And I know that as a podcast, this doesn't typically go into Scripture studies, but I can't help but call to mind what St. Paul wrote in the letter to the Romans in the fifth chapter. While we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we are now justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Not only so, 
but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. Again, Romans 5. It's important to remember, literally, you know, people wear a crucifix around their neck. The beginning of the, of, of the rosary that we keep in our pockets has a crucifix. We have to, this is what our worth is, that God died for us even though we were alien, we were strange, we were separated from him because of sin. This is the the visual awareness, because so it's a tangible awareness when you have a crucifix. You could hold it, you could see it, you can grasp it with your with the interior of your heart. This is our worth. Again, it's not meant to terrify us. It's meant to inspire us that now in baptism, we become sharers in the cross and in the tomb of Easter Sunday. This is our dignity, and to never forget it. So when we look upon it, it's not meant just to uh, be something trite or it's not, we don't put a crucifix in our home to ward off evil spirits like it's some type of talisman. It's to inspire our hearts and minds of our dignity and of our worth. Going back to what St. Paul wrote in his fifth chapter to the letter to the Romans. So now depression and there's a there's a there's a reality here that sometimes there's a spiritual illness and there's also chemical illness there's there's the illness that we need professional assistance and this is where it's good sometimes it's necessary to have a good counselor some there are some people who say well if you just make a good confession it'll go away no there are sometimes that really you need you, you need a chemical hormonal assistance now i'm not saying to just throw pills at people uh, because Catholics, we believe in the healing sciences as well as the spiritual sciences, theology. We believe in medicine too. So there is an awareness that there are times that people need assistance. And sometimes there are some wounds that can be carried since childhood. And, you know, you can't just pray it away. It, you need to take it to prayer, but you also sometimes need that professional assistance. Even priests, you know, are, are religious as working with our seminarians. Sometimes seminarians become aware of, of of wounds from childhood or adolescence, and they bring it and they say, "Father, can I pursue counseling?" Absolutely, because we want this addressed in by professionals to be able to to have what we say tools in the toolbox. Here's one of the problems. This is so. Remember, my parents' generation, baby boomers, mm -hmm. they were, you are sinners in the hands of an angry God, Catholic style, Jonathan Edwards, Catholic style. Okay, if some of you remember reading that in high school, American literature. And so everything's a sin. What, what happened with the pendulum? Nothing's a sin. Okay, and, and God loves you no matter what. But it didn't take away the fact that there were people who did really bad stuff and got themselves into really horrendous situations and sometimes, sometimes priests and religious cause those horrendous situations. And, you know, oh, well, but, you know, just, just try to forget it, you know, take it to prayer and, 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 and ask, ask God to take it away. Well, that's easier said than done. And so those two extremes are really unhealthy. Everything is a sin, and God, God's looking for a reason to snag you to the fires of H-E double hockey stick. And then nothing's a sin, don't worry about it. But then innately, because of the grace of conscience that everybody's born with, there are times we realize, wow, I was really hard. I was really horrible to my first spouse, 
Wow, I was really disrespectful to my parents, and now they're dead, and I can't apologize. Wow, my kids that my kids that I didn't have because of whatever reason, abortion, for instance, or um, that that I you know abandoned, and then we realize, no, the, the sin does exist, but repentance begins to heal that. But there are times that you need the professionals to be able to sort through some of the stuff. And part of, I think that some of the problems we have in our current day are a result of kind of like a hedonistic lifestyle that crept in beginning in the late 60s and into, like into the 80s and whatnot. Again, pendulum swings are always dangerous. But I think that we look for good, you know, again, I, I don't, we're talking spiritual here. We look at the crucifix, we realize our life's worth because of God who died for us and, and still carries his wounds for us. Uh, but there's also the awareness that, yeah, it's okay. It's not wrong if you go and seek professional assistance. Because sometimes, you know, decades of bad decisions can have ripple effects. There was a great talk at our vocation director conference this past September. And Sister Miriam, who was a member, a religious sister in the Society of Our Lady of the Trinity, she commented that trauma can change a person's DNA. Mm. Okay, they were studying like people who went through war, people who survived the Holocaust, that trauma, like someone who experienced the trauma, it lit now, I don't know the scientific study she was quoting, trauma changes the DNA. So it's like, wow, that then can be passed on. That traumatic experience and resultant anxieties can be passed on to other generations. But just as it, just as trauma adversely affects DNA, and can, what heals it? Communio, she said, communion with God, with others. So as Catholics, we'd say, wow, the Blessed Sacrament is is the medicine for the for the sinner, as Pope uh, Pope Francis said a couple of years ago, you know, Holy Communion is not a prize for the perfect, it's a medicine for sinners. Mm. Okay, now people misunderstood that. No, no, I mean, every one of us, we're asking for internal and external healing. But also the communion that we have as, as the church with one another, it's really important. Think about uh, my, my parish in Steelton, our 50 plus club, you know, they get together once a month. And these people, they get together, they have a lunch, they listen to entertainment, they laugh with each other, they talk about their grandkids. We say, well, they're just spending time. Well, no, they're also mourning the loss of husbands and wives, and that's communio. That's sharing in community with with others, and that heals trauma. So anyway, going really far out there, but conscience, you know, what are the extremes that afflict conscience? Nothing's a sin, everything's a sin. Okay, so how do we recover from sin? How do how do we heal our memory? How do we heal conscience? Communio, ultimately with God, and until then, even with one another as the church. Those are some thoughts. I like that. So, okay, so kind of piggybacking off of that, um, sometimes I guess if you've gone through a trauma or if you're going through a period in your life where you feel very closed off, um, but we know that God's love heals. How do we how do we let him love us, especially when we're at our worst, but even when we're at our best and kind of everything in between? There was someone that I know who in young adulthood probably did not make the best decision. 
at the time, the person was not that close with God, wasn't really a practicing Catholic. After Afterward, and they realize, oh my gosh, I, what we say in the Catholic world, I materially cooperated in evil. Formally cooperated is, um, yeah, I'm helping you do something bad, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm aiding you to do this. Material cooperation is, well, I inadvertently helped this person. I probably wouldn't have done this had I known what the person was doing, but I still did it anyway, uh, not being fully aware of what the person was doing, okay? Material and formal cooperation. And this person came to the awareness, wow, I did this, and um, I feel really bad about this. And then I heard a religious superior say to that person, well, you've already taken this to confession. You've experienced God's forgiveness. Now it's time for you to forgive yourself. Like, oh, wow. And I heard this, I'm thinking, oh, wow. Now it's time that you forgive yourself. We all make mistakes. God forgives us quickly. Oftentimes, it's more our own selves where we want to be perfect, and we, we don't want to even have a memory of those times when we were imperfect. It's kind of like, now, I'll tell you, I'm the last of three brothers, okay? And there was a grade school teacher who rem reminded me of something that I did, although I said, I don't think that you have the right brother. I think that you're speaking of one of my other brothers. Because, you know, 40 years after you teach these kids, you know, they start running together. Now, was that Frank, Dave, or John? Okay. <laughs> Which one was it? Okay. In a small town. And I'm thinking, I'll, I'm, I'm typically quick to, to, to confess my stupidity as a kid. I don't, I said, I don't think I did that, but it hurts when we said, Oh, there were times that I really was immature. There was times that I was, I, I was a hellion. I was, I was a snot. We all were at one point, you know, and, and, sometimes we have to accept things in humility. Here's the voices that we have to listen to. What does the voice of the good shepherd say to us? Follow me. What does Jesus show us as good shepherd? I will lay down my life for you. How do we know that? The crucifix. What does the devil, the voice of the devil say? You're nothing. You're worthless. Don't even bother trying. Aren't you? Are you forgetting how far you were far away from God? Don't even bother. You're never going to be Mother Teresa. You're never going to be Pope St. John Paul. Gosh, you're not even going to be like John Neumann from, from um, Philadelphia, even though I say last name Newman. Anyway, you know, you're not going to be a, a, a Elizabeth Ann Seton. You're not going to be a, a Gianna Beretta Mola. Keep, don't even bother. God encourages, the devil wants us to be discouraged. So you know when your conscience is being afflicted with discouragement, it's from the devil. And you got my permission to say, go to hell. Because that's really, you just have to put that voice away from you. It, it, it's not from God. It's, it's not of, of, of encouragement, of lifting up, and of grace. So I think that it's really important to... Uh, to, to be able to forgive ourselves, to be patient with ourselves when, like, you, you, people come. Father, it's been, it's been two weeks since my last confession. I don't even know why I come. Um, 
I just keep on, I, I keep repeating the same sins anyway. Well, do you still live with the same husband or wife? Do you still have the same kids? Do you still live, live in the same house and have the same job? Well, yeah. I said, well, you're going to have the same sins as long as you keep trying. Okay. And you could typically sort out when someone is just, when it's habitual because of human weakness versus someone who's being presumptuous and like, I have no intention of, of, of converting. Um, I have no intention of change in my life. And that's presumption has to be dealt with in a different way. But with most of our life, yeah, we're going to have our favorite sins. We're going to have our common pitfalls. The devil knows us just as we know ourselves. And they know the temptations of fling at us to try to get us to trip and fall. And what do we do? We, we just keep on going on. So there's a great jazz musician from... New Orleans, Harry Connick Jr., and I, I use this quote. You know, he was asked, Are, "Is it true you're a practicing Catholic?" And his response was, "You bet, I'm, you bet I am, and I'm going to keep practicing until I get it right." Well, that's that's the Catholic spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't say, "Yes, I am, and I'm perfect at it." Um, another fairly famous active Catholic right now is Mark Wahlberg, mm -hmm. and there are people who are saying, you know, he's he's making no bones about about how important his faith is to him. And there are people who say, oh, yeah, but don't you know that he was involved in this kind of like a racial attack and he did these whatever it was back in the 80s or 90s? It's like, gosh, golly, I mean, I hope people don't judge me but what I was 30 years ago. And it's really okay that we let people change and mature and grow in holiness because ultimately God's doing that for every one of us. Um, again, we have to forgive ourselves just as quickly as God forgives. Typically, God forgives us more quickly than we can forgive ourselves. Hmm. I like that. And I like the being able to tell the difference of um, if it's encouragement, it's probably coming from God. And if it's discouragement, it's coming from the devil. I had um, this quote on my phone um, by this woman named Brittany Turner. She gives a lot of like motivational speeches. And I don't know what her religious affiliation is, but it was a really great quote. Um, as she said, Satan isn't trying to kill you. He's trying to make you ineffective. Yeah, sure. And I was, anytime I struggle with imposter syndrome, that's what I think of. It's like, oh, you're trying to tell me that I'm not good enough. Let me show you that I am. Right. Um, that's a little like kick in the pants that I need. You know, the other thing about the temptations of the devil, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I probably listen about inter interviews with exorcists on that, out there on YouTube, like, you know, with Nefarious and the Devil's, the Pope's Exorcist, you know, these movies being out there right now, a lot of people are talking about it, okay? Mm -hmm. The Devil's inherently lazy, that he's fallen and he's lazy. You want an instance of our fallen nature? We're lazy. Saturday mornings, we could be cut, cutting the grass or watching TV, and how often are we there just like lo loafing around, right? Um, the Devil's lazy. He's fallen. He's not going to scare us with fire and brimstone he's just going to throw at us our favorite temptations <laughs> so that we could do the rest of the work because it's like well why should i lift a finger i like have to do. and that's when with god's grace we're stronger than the devil okay and you just tell him get away from me you're not gonna win this one yeah so kind of going back to um like our lives being especially for those who spend a lot of time caretaking, um, how how can we take care of ourselves in order to take care of others without feeling guilty about it? Because I feel like a lot of times people misunderstand um, 
self-care as being selfish. Mm -hmm. How can we, how can we kind of break past that? So I think that I'll give an instance at the end of Quo Vadis days, one of the encouragements, and it's hard at Quo Vadis days, which is the retreat that the diocese offers for young men who are between the ages of 15 and 25, who are open to a call to the religious or priesthood or religious life. Um, and it's hard to do this. You could tell them at every retreat, but it's like in one ear out the other. But one of the things we encourage them to do is to develop a personal rule of life. When are you going to pray every morning? When are you going to pray every evening? What? How are you go? Are you going to make the commitment to go to confession once every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Are you going to not hop around to different churches to go to confession, but go to the, try to go to this? Try to go roughly the same priest, so that way they're tracking your spiritual progress, and you're not just going in cold and just getting the three hail marys and the and the act of contrition, you know, advice, right? That's easier said than done. Having a rule of life is important, okay, because it sets that rhythm of self-care. As a priest, every priest is allotted a day off. Now, there have been times that you, I've, I've heard it, um, what a priest need a day off for? It's like, if only they knew that right. there's those times that you just need to get away, go treat yourself to a milkshake, take a, you know, couple days ago, Monday, I, I, took, I took a drive. I, got, I got, love ice cream. So I got a milkshake, and I went to see the Restoration Project at Conewaga Chapel in Hanover. So I love history, and it's a doable drive. It was a nice day. It was sunshiny at the time. And it's just something to nourish your mind, distract yourself from upcoming funerals and, you know, a new bishop and all the hullabaloo of planning for Quavada stays and the bishop's installation and all these other things that are going on in the parish because it can get overwhelming. People, you you have to in your own, there's a word again, conscience, I know what work I've been doing. And I know that I need to disconnect from the noise and the constant onslaught of Father, can you? Father, we need to. Father, you know, do this, 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 because it can get overwhelming. There's a huge mental load. There's a, and you need to disconnect from that. Mm -hmm. You need to have your, you need to have your, your friends. Priests, we're supposed to have priest friends. We have an Emmaus group and we make the commitment about once a month, you get together, you, you try to do an intellectual reading, stimulate the mind. And we, we, over dinner, we just try to talk about priesthood. And, and again, when I say to people, that's, I have Emmaus that afternoon and evening. There are people who are going to say, oh, yeah, they're going out to dinner. No, not typically. We don't go out to a fancy restaurant. You know, someone's providing a meal, either cooking it or getting someone to cook it for the, for us. But it's for our priesthood. And we have to put aside suspicions of other people. Now, sometimes with children, I think that – I use this example for husbands and wives. My mom and dad, there used to be this restaurant up home called Club 122, and it sounded like this exotic place. It was like, wow. One time I was a little kid, my dad looked at my mom and whispered, said, Mary, would you like to go to the C-L-U-B? And then I said, I want to go to the club. And then that's when my dad realized I can spell. And he <laughs> looked up defeat on his face. And then I said, I want to go. He's like, you're not old enough. Well, and I'm thinking, this is like even more you know, fancy. Wow, they're going to this club. Okay, finally, I'm old enough. We go to the club. And this was, if anybody's from the Shemokin Mount Carmel area, Club 122, they had the 
greatest steak tip sandwiches that would take two hours, two and a half hours to get served to you. And I realized they're not going there because of the food, even though the food was good. They're going there to talk. And it's there where my parents communicated and where my mom would say, I need a break. I want to go shopping. Frank, watch the kids, my dad. Or, um, you know, and when I get, when we get back, we're, we're taking time for ourselves. We get back, the, the floor better be swept, the laundry folded, and the dishes out of the dishwasher. And God help you if you didn't do it. But that's self-care. That's setting a boundary, setting a time of recuperation for yourself. It's not wrong to do that. On the contrary, it's necessary to do that. Even the Lord got across the lake to get away from the crowds to be left alone because he needed some time for himself. Even Jesus did this. Again, saints are to be admired and not necessarily imitated. In that instance, our Lord's giving us a model so to do. Okay, so it's okay to do that. And of course, that time to prayer, because the prayer is the glue that keeps you held together throughout the rest of the day. I think that there's an important thing about the Sunday Eucharist. You know, it's important for that one day a week that there's that one hour that you sit there and you look around and you see other families and you could see how the families are struggling to keep their kids in line. You could see the, the that elderly parishioner who used to be the head of parish council who was you know beginning to fail. And things are put in perspective. And that's where I think communio communion helps heal things and it, it sets an important context and it helps form that conscience that's how they're doing it this is how i can do it too anyway i hope that that makes a little bit of sense it does and it actually puts a nice little bow on top because we went all the way back to the beginning that's awesome that's why they keep me around <laughs> <laughs> well father Sawicki, thank you so much for for shedding some light on catholic guilt and how we can how can we how we can move past it in our um, relationship with God and in our faith? So thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.